Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the RPG Interview Room, the show in which I'm lucky enough to get together with some of the best people in the world of role-playing games and ask them tons of questions. Today I have with me Robert Johnson, who's written a game called Peace, uh, which paradoxically is a game full of conflict, as in really serious conflict, with tons of fantasy and tons of things to do. And I think there's a fly in my studio, so don't be surprised if I do this with my hands from time to time, because I find them very annoying. Anyway, uh, I wanted to talk to Robert because um, the game, you can already get hold of a reduced version of the whole thing whilst the whole book is being finished. And I would wholeheartedly recommend to take a look at it. Wholeheartedly, I wanted to say. So, um, I could keep going on about it. But this was an actually very interesting interview, so I am looking forward to you hearing or watching it. So without further ado, here is Robert and Peace. Uh, Robert, welcome to the show. Um, it's enough to have you around. Um, I'm sorry that we couldn't do it last week. Uh, and uh, we're doing it one week after we are meant to do it. So I hope that you well over the last week. So um, you give me the same answer that I was that you would have given me the last week if I had asked you the same question, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, things, things are great. I'm, uh, um, you know, I, I totally understand your situation. I, I went through the same situation and uh, best to you and everyone. And, and it's great to, to, be, uh, to be on and uh, talking to you. Good, good. I'm very glad to have you here. So, um, because we have never really spoken before, and uh, we have only known each other very briefly in, in, in Facebook, and uh, you might be thinking, oh my God, what kind of weirdo is this who posts this <laughs> shit? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to ask you five questions to know, break the ice and kind of get to know you a little bit, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the mood of asking and answering questions, which is very exciting. So, Excellent. Uh, okay, um, question number one, um, tea or coffee? Um, tea. Uh, okay. I don't dislike coffee. Coffee is one of those things um, that you don't dislike, but you still never partake in. And, yeah. and this is it is really weird. Uh, like two or three weeks ago, I walked into work completely awake, you know, not tired, and I had a taste for coffee out of nowhere. Uh, but but I'm a tea guy. I couldn't explain it. Uh, but but yeah, I prefer tea. Okay, T T very good. Okay, uh, question number two: uh, the beach or the mountain? Um, because of my fear of uh, grizzly bears, I guess the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go with beach. Okay, fair, fair enough. Fair enough, indeed. I think I, I've, I've never seen a grizzly bear live. But I think that would probably scare the shit out of me too. So. Um, I'm with you. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, cars or motorbikes? Um, cars. Um, recreationally, I would love to to do uh, motorbikes, but I'm too uh, much of a, a fraidy cat uh, <laughs> to to use them extensively. So, so I have to say car. Well, I think that's because you just have a lawful life and rather than miss it and lose it. So um, that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Last, well, no, no, last, because there are two left, but this is getting a little bit harder now. Uh, fantasy or science fiction? Uh, I love both, um, but I have to say science fiction. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. I'm a uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, um, 
uh, altered carbon um, eclipse phase kind of guy, transhumanism and and science fiction and science fiction and fantasy. So cool, I like that because I I like transhumanism an awful lot as well. So yeah. okay, uh, last um, zombies or vampires? Hmm. Eating brains or sparkling in sunlight? Oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll take a sparkling in sunlight, Pat, for five hundred. No, um, <laughs> I, I guess I guess because zombies can be kind of one-dimensional. I'll I'll say vampires. I like vampires as well. So good. So evidently, you and I gotta get along like a house on fire. So that's that's, that's that's amazing. That's that's good because we we share a lot of things. So uh, anyway. Um, the reason you're here, you have uh, you, you have a, a role-playing game called Peace. Yes. That um, this must have been going on for a while because the basic edition that I have right now in front of me already goes on 278 pages. Yes. Fact. Tell me about <laughs> it. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll give you the elevator pitch and then you can you can guide me to, you know, what you want to know. But the elevator pitch for peace is um, it is a, a bright and shining high fantasy uh, tabletop role playing game. Uh, the title is somewhat sarcastic because when you hear the title peace, P-E-A-C-E as in love and peace, uh, you may think that it refers to what will happen in this fantasy world after the good guys have won. Yay, they've won. But actually what it refers to is what will happen in this fantasy setting after the good guys and bad guys collaborate to really mess uh, this world up. Um, there is a prophecy in the setting, as you know, as you do, um, and the prophecy says that this world will only realize peace after it has destroyed itself during the struggle between good and evil. So it is more uh, like rest in peace. Um, in most fantasy settings, the default idea is that the player characters are the good guys, but you usually don't have um, a bird's eye view of uh, how good they're doing at being the good guys. But in peace, and of course, because of the the setting and the, the world heading for self-destruction, there is a very easy way to track the good guy's influence on the world. And that's something called the prophecy meter. And the prophecy meter ranges from one things are really good, to 15 things um, are really bad. And the heroes can affect the prophecy meter with their good deeds, uh, some good luck, and their action. So it, it tracks the, uh, the hold of darkness uh, on the world around them. It has a mechanical and a narrative effect on the game. So peace is a I would like to think is a rules medium uh, fantasy RPG with a with a little bit of a dark side. It's not grim dark, um, and the heroes are very competent and trying to save this world from self destruction. So that's what your hero uh, is trying to do in peace. It sounds though like the heroes are going to be fighting an absolutely ginormous battle because if peace is what happens when the good guys and the bad guys cooperate. What are the heroes meant to be doing? Because they're going to be fighting both sides, aren't they? Absolutely, and it's it's um, 
it's a situation where uh, in the book it says that the world could come to an end because of the uh, the the evil actions of the fiendish or the overzealous actions of um, the righteous. So the idea is um, you want to be a wise hero. Um, you don't want to necessarily throat punch every problem because just as uh, the the foul and uh, the bad guys could really screw things up. So could a good guy who is being overzealous and is really powerful. And do you destroy the village because it is overrun by evil? Or do you do the hard work of going uh, into the streets and saving the people and doing the hard work of defeating the bad guy face to face? So not only do you have to be brave, I'm brave, um, uh, you have to be wise as well and not overzealous as the good guys because uh, the world can self-destruct because of the uh, the evil actions of the foul or the overzealous actions um, of the uh, of the righteous. So it's 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 a give and take there. Where did the idea come from for for this? Well, <laughs> I'm going. Um, uh, we're we're cool, right? We uh, you won't let anybody know this, right? Nope. I just, okay. Just you and I. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, the first inkling of creating the game did not come from hopefully the interesting things that I've just explained, but it came from the game's origins came from a completely mechanical um, that I was trying to accomplish. I was sitting around my bedroom one day and I was thinking to myself, uh, this was earlier in the hobby. I started designing piece 14 years ago, to be honest with you. Um, and I was playing some uh, role-playing game that characters were really frail. Oops, uh, my dog is uh, unhappy. Um, uh, yeah, I don't like frail, frail player characters either. Uh, <laughs> um, no, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, and um, the, the, the idea I had was I wanted to play a fantasy game in which the uh, player characters throughout their entire career uh, felt heroic and felt competent. And because some games, um, and this is not a criticism, I love a lot of different types of games, made you feel at some points in your career like a supporting character in a fantasy novel. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always thought to myself in the back of my mind while playing some of these great fantasy games that are out there, wow, would a nameless goblin be able to take me out if I were the hero of the story? Um, so the that was the initial idea behind Peace, even before I came up with a setting and a premise or even the name of the game that I wanted characters to feel like the main character in a graphic novel throughout their entire career uh, from first level to 10th level. There are only 10 levels in the game. And then the name Peace just came to me. I was sitting around thinking what I was going to call the game. And it was a, it was a, a weird name. I think it was a name that will ask people to, I've had people ask me, what is this game about? People just being friendly all the time. And, <laughs> and, and then I, and so I, I came up with the concept of peace, meaning the end of a world, a world that is always in tumult. So it will, it will only realize peace once it has self-destructed. Um, that came after uh, my mechanical goal of making heroes or, or player characters always feel like the main character of the story. So, uh, yeah. 
So do characters know that the world will only be at peace if it self-destructs, or is this something that is not really known to them? Yeah, what I what I would say is uh, that the people the the prophecy is actually a thing in the world, an, an ancient uh, foretelling of the the possible outcome of the world. And I would say that not every individual in the world knows about the prophecy. I would say that only uh, uh, learned individuals in the world know about the prophecy um, uh, gen- generally. Uh, so the um, the player characters in the in the game uh, hopefully are guided by the premise of the game, and you know not that they always have to do the right thing. But yes, the prophecy is is a thing that exists in the world, but not everyone is aware of the world's fate. Could the players play the heroes in bracket heroes that would actually want to? accelerate the destruction of the world to achieve that peaceful nirvana that will happen when the whole thing self-destructs. That would be an incredibly interesting premise. And yes, um, there uh, during character creation, one of the things that you have to do is determine what drives your hero. Uh, so it is a goal um, that you don't have to always be a slave to what drives your character. But when you do... Uh, make decisions based on uh, the drive that you have selected for your character, you get additional uh, experience points for good role playing. Um, And yes, I can see a character being driven to accelerate the the end, the the rest in peace. Uh, For instance, a character like Thanos, who thought that he was doing the right thing, unfortunately, part of doing the right thing was to eliminate a lot of innocent people to save others. So mm-hmm. that that could definitely and oh man, that would that campaign would be tremendous. Uh, <laughs> it, you, you definitely would have to do it with players and a GM who you know were really uh, about narrative and really un- not taking anything personally, and maybe having the possibility of having some PVP, which I have found requires you to have really adult and understanding people at the table who are not, you know, taking it personally and letting the game go where it where it naturally goes. Yeah, if you have a PC who thinks that the end of this crazy world, an end of the suffering is the right way to go, that would be an amazing campaign. Uh, though it is, it is not the default uh, uh, setting or uh, uh, thrust of the game that would that would be amazing and uh, I I can't wait for you to invite me to run that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I would be up for that. Absolutely up for that. Okay, tell me a little bit in that case about character creation. What kind of species and what kind of uh, classes or professions can people find in, in this game? Sure, sure. Sorry about that, Kiki. Okay. She's very excited about the game. Um, right. So, so um, the uh, Kiki, Kiki, no, stop, stop, stop. All right, okay, okay, calm down there. Uh, so the um, in the in the full version of the game, there are six player races. Uh, you have um, elves, you have humans, uh, and you have titans who are um, uh, half giants. And actually, the titan 
player race were once worshipped by the elves as gods. Um, and then you have uh, trolls, uh, you have orcs, and you have goblins. So those are the six uh, races in the full edition of the game. Uh, and the basic edition of the game, which, which you have and I'm using to build up community around the game to hopefully uh, be able to kickstart the full version, um, you only have elves, orcs, and humans. Uh, so the, um, the character creation process is a 10-step process. Um, and the where you start the process is determining your character's overarching place in the world or maybe in, in your party. Uh, the game has three different vocations. Uh, you have warriors, uh, adventurers, and adepts. Um, and as you probably uh, can figure out as a gamer, uh, the warriors are your fighter types, your adepts are your full-blown spellcasters, and your adventurers allow you uh, to, build your, to build that mixture of um, fighter and magic users. So kind of your classes from other fantasy RPGs, uh, clerics or rangers who have a little bit of spell casting or spell thieves or, um, a sword mages could be built using the adventurer, uh, vocation. So uh, with peace there, um, there aren't any character classes. You only have that overarching theme of the three, and then you build the character that you want to play. Um, you, have 10 attributes in the game, which are a mixture of skills and attributes. You spend points to improve those. Um, half of your attributes are determined by your player race or heritage. Uh, the other half is based on what you wanted to train uh, and improve before your career started in earnest. And then um, your overarching vocation also determines how easy it is uh, for you to improve what are called attack stats in the game. Uh, peace, um, I if I'm going to be completely honest, one of the most unique aspects of the game uh, are the attack stats. So in peace, instead of having a attribute plus skill paradigm, you have um, three stats in the game that determine how proficient your character is at damaging or affecting other individuals against their will. So there are three ways to attack in the game. You can attack with warfare, which is uh, mundane, um, biting, punching, using crossbow or sword. You have influence, which allows you to uh, use charisma, um, befriend, taunt or intimidate a foe and then power is the third attack stat and that allows you to um to use magic to affect your targets so during character creation after you choose your vocation that dictates how um inexpensive it is for you to improve those three stats of course warfare is easier for a warrior to improve during character creation um an adventurer finds influence easier to improve and uh of course power is easier to improve for adepts so you spend points um, to improve those stats. Uh, then you choose your talents, which are the um, tactics, abilities, and supernatural um, uh, maneuvers that the player vocations can use. And then you, um, to uh, clean everything up, you purchase your gear uh, with a couple of uh, shards. That, that's what they call the currency in the world, shards. It's a crystalline substance that's mined from an impact crater. That's what the setting uses as currency. Um, and then uh, finally, as I mentioned briefly at the beginning, your character chooses 
what drives them. There are 12 dri different drives in the game um, that if you, if the character is willing to get themselves in trouble to adhere to what drives their character, they get additional um, experience points. And it also allows me uh, to know what type of game uh, the player wants to play. So drives are things like uh, the character relishes battle or the character values loyalty or the character um, would like to protect the innocent. Uh, you choose your drive. Uh, and then the final step in the process is choosing one other player character in the game, uh, deciding that you have a strong connection with that other player in the game or other character in the game and you uh determine why that connection exists and that that's pretty much the uh the 10-step process uh again there aren't any character classes you really build your character um using your talents and your overarching vocation to build the type of character you want so if you wanted to play a character cleric you would be an adventurer the adventurer would have access to the talents that allow you to be good in combat and also use invocation magic. Uh, and then um, you finish up with gear and uh, things that actually put some meat on the bones of your character, giving your character character with uh, drive and connection. Uh, tell me about the, uh, the connection bit. How, how does it work, for instance, with characters who don't know each other? Let's say that you're in a party and the party has a casualty and the player, you know, designs a new character. How, how would connection work with that new character? Is it building that connection something that's built in uh, within the game itself? Yes. Uh, well, the unfortunately, in that scenario, um, when when the players uh, build their characters together, um, or uh, at least hopefully you can build characters together for the initial start of the campaign, um, and you have to if you build if the players build their characters separately and come together, maybe a driving connection would be the last thing you do once everyone has kind of um, introduced themselves. So when a campaign starts, the idea is that this ed this uh, group of heroes have traveled together a little bit and have traveled together enough to form um, some bonds. Mm -hmm. uh, if, it, if it turns out that a, a hero is lost, unfortunately, um, and they and so, and the player makes a new character, yeah, that kind of that the mechanic uh, unfortunately um, doesn't doesn't really work that well. That's a, that's a you're really good at what you do. I, I have never <laughs> actually had um, that circumstance pop up. Either um, the I guess the players could metagame a little bit and say, "Oh, I've I've heard of you guys," or we grew up in the same town but didn't really know one another. But yeah, I. It, it makes the connection uh, bit is a little made a little bit more difficult if a hero has to join the group after the campaign has already started. So yes, it would have to uh, grow, as you said, it would have to grow organically, and then the connection could be determined once the player characters have had a time to um, uh, to get to know one one another. Bond could grow naturally, I would say. Hmm. Well, that, that that sounds okay to me. I mean, to be honest, it, it, uh, a very quick fix occurs to me, which is that the new character uh, would be good if it had a bond with a deceased character. You know, so whether you're somebody who's been followed, <laughs> so that way it's not a complete stranger. 
you know, kind of if if you are a friend of our friend, then you are our friend, kind of right. with reservations because yeah. uh, could be, but yeah, we'll give you a chance opportunity. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, tell uh, me a little bit mechanically. How does the game play? What what, what are the rules like? Absolutely. So uh, the game is, um, I tried to make it as uh, as simple as possible. Um, again, going back to the attack stat mechanic, we'll talk about that because that is one of the core mechanics. So uh, peace is very different. I'll, you know, I'll save very modestly. It is very different game. Um, there's no other game that I can think that does what peace does. So the way you attack in peace, as I said, um, you have three ways of attacking, either through mundane warfare, using your charisma, or using magic. And um, you those three attack stats are rated by a number of D6 and in some cases a modifier like say uh, 2D6 plus 3 influence. And yes, um, one of the other design principles I had for Peace is I wanted face characters to be able to actually affect um, conflicts and affect the battlefield. So one of the design principles was I wanted to be a method of attack um, and, you know, obviously, if you, it, when you say befriend, that's not really an attack. But in order to keep everything, you know, simple, when you're trying to befriend someone with your charisma, it's called an attack because when you say attack, players will know what the process is for that. But um, so if you had a 2D6 plus 3 charisma, now um, each attack stat has an associated defensive stat. Um, warfare is associated with defense. Influence is associated with willpower, and power is associated with uh, with resistance. And the, those defensive stats have a rating from, say, 3 to 9 or 12. So what happens at the beginning of each conflict, a round, you determine how your hero is going to deal with the threats in front of them that round. Are they going to punch, kick, and scratch? There would be warfare. Are they going to befriend taunt or uh, frighten that would be influence or are they going to fireball glue spell or magic missile that would be power they roll the dice uh, the d6s associated with that attack stat and that generates their uh, their attack points for the round now um Looking at the defensive stats, so if you're attacking with influence, you're going against your target's uh, willpower. Every time a character can spend a number of attack points equal to their target's appropriate defense, they get what's called a damage check against the target. So let's say if I have uh, 2d6 plus 3, I only rolled uh, a total of 2 on the d6s, that's plus 3, that's 5 attack points. And let's say my target has a um, willpower of 3. So that means that I be able to get one attack against the target um, for that round. And uh, the reason I uh, did a random uh, method for determining how many times you can attack per round is because I found that in other role-playing games I've played, uh, when you have a fixed number of times you can attack, like at third level, you have three attacks, I found that the dynamic nature of conflicts became very uh, disappeared 
mm-hmm. um, when you know how many attacks per round you have. So, for instance, a melee fighter, once you get into melee range, every turn after that becomes the same. I attack, I attack, I attack. Next turn, guess what? I guess I'm going to attack, attack, attack. So the reason I decided to make the number of attacks you can you can do variable is to get away from the predictable nature. And I wanted combat and conflicts to be dynamic. So your how many times you can attack is determined by how many attack points you randomly um, generate at the beginning of each round. It also is determined by who you're attacking because with three different ways of attack and three different defenses, Obviously, characters can't be good at everything. So if you're a fighter attacking a character who is not de- whose defense is not um, as, as good as yours, you would get more attacks against them. And then the third aspect of attacking is it depends on what which one of your abilities you can bring to bear against your target. So conflicts are much more din- dynamic because there are three aspects that determine how many attacks you get per round. So that's the basics of attacking. Um, and then uh, for your 10 attributes, when you're doing things like uh, climbing, making camp, uh, trying to perceive an enemy who's sneaking up on you, it is a 2d6 roll. Uh, you add your uh, total attribute uh, to your roll and you go against a fixed target number. Um, if you're going against a living, breathing foe, for instance, if a foe is trying to sneak up on you using their thievery and you're trying to perceive them using your perception, it's an opposed roll. You roll 2d6, you add your uh, perception against their roll of 2d6 plus thievery, highest roll wins. So it's, yeah, it's, it's fairly um, uh, traditional in, in that respect as far as attributes. How about social skills? Uh, how how did you handle things like diplomacy or negotiation? Um, how how does that work, or is that left to the role playing ability of the players? No, because because I wanted um, face characters, as I mentioned, to have a system as detailed. Um, as traditional uh, fisticuffs or combat, the influence uh, attack stat is the way that charisma is wielded in the game. So um, there are two um, health or wellness stats in the game. You have hit points, which everyone is familiar with, which is your physical survivability. And then you have composure, which is your mental uh, well-being or your mental survivability. So when a character... Uh, makes an influence attack against you by generating their attack points and doing a number of attacks. Every time they successfully check uh, against your level uh, in that process, they all characters have what's called influence damage. And every time you successfully perform a influence attack against a character, your influence damage reduces the the target's composure. When the target's composure gets to zero, kind of like hit points, but a little different, uh, uh, the target suffers what's called a breakdown. So if you were trying to befriend a character and you did an influence uh, befriend attack upon them, you uh, reduce their composure, their composure gets to zero, and, and for befriend, um, in particular, that means that their uh, attitude towards you improves. Um, if you were doing a frightened attack, you, you generate your attack points, you spend your attack points to get an attack, 
you successfully attack, you reduce their composure. Once you get them to zero uh, for a frightened attack, they they have to run away from you for a particular number of rounds. So as I said, as you probably can imagine, even when the swords come out, the face character doesn't just have to become an inferior fighter when it comes to fisticuffs. Uh, a face character can literally affect the battlefield by frightening or um, taunting an opponent to be uh, forcing that opponent to become uh, incredibly ineffective in combat. So a face character just doesn't have to be an inferior fighter when uh, when it comes to fisticuffs. That, I, I like the idea that people can can affect with with their charisma, whether it is caring or or shaming their foes to death. You know, like you, you with the kind of sword thing, you're gonna kill me. Come on, try now. You just kind of oh, all right, yeah. This sword is rubbish. I'm off. <laughs> fight with this, and they go away. Okay, tell me, um, tell me a little bit about the world itself. What kind of society? What kind of civilization? What kind of world are we going to find? Yes. Well, the game happens in the setting that I call uh, the Land of Six Peoples. Um, it, it the reason they call it the Land of Six Peoples is in the full version of the game you have six different uh, player uh, races. It is a a world um, that has been uh, torn by conflict, as you know, all of them are. <laughs> why are we role playing if everything is okay? <laughs> you know. So why? Yeah. Um, and uh, so the um, the elves of the setting were once the rulers uh, of the land. And um, they were created by um, uh, the god Min, uh, the first dragon. Uh, the setting was created by Min, the first dragon. Uh, he created uh, the setting was once the home of the sources of all of the elements in the cosmos. Um, and Min, uh, M-Y-N, uh, the first dragon, created man to watch over the elements as he went on to create the rest of the cosmos. After creating other entities in the cosmos, those entities became very jealous um, of uh, the humans and the fact that the humans were... Um, were caretakers of the elements that fed the rest of the cosmos, so they invaded. Um, that invasion was uh, was pushed back, uh, forcing men to decide to um, uh, to create elves and titans to kind of uh, watch over uh, man, uh, because uh, during the first what they call portal invasions, uh, the water caretakers, the humans who were responsible for guarding the source of elemental water in the cosmos, decided that the way to stop the conflict is to drown uh, the world of one of the invading entities, killing everyone. And men did not take kindly to that. Uh, So... Um, he removed humans from the responsibility of guarding the the elemental sources of the cosmos and put elves and titans in control. Uh, fast forward to, to present day, after a second attempt by entities from around the cosmos to gain control of the sources of um, the elements of the of the cosmos, a uh, an individual, a former caretaker, human caretaker of fire named Cord, 
who was an emissary for men, uh, shattered the cosmos, creating all of the planes of existence. So now you have the, the, uh, the original setting, which is the former uh, home of the elements of the cosmos. You have other planes of, cosmos, uh, of the cosmos, planes of existence, including the elemental planes, inferno and necrotic planes. And in the, in the setting, uh, the elves have now uh, fallen out of rule um, of, the, uh, of the setting. And be because uh, they were torn from their former homeland by an ancient evil, which uh, they were not able to fight because the Titans who were created as their gods fell at the time that the elves needed them the most. So it's a really interesting dynamic because in the full version of the game, you can play an elf who once worshipped another player race, and you can play that that player race who now exists in this world of mortals. Um, th there are... Um, uh, main societies, the uh, the humans are the most plentiful, as you see in a lot of other settings. But I really wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel uh, with the humans. Uh, you have uh, fortress, which which is the most powerful religious and military um, force in the setting, and they worship the god Cord, the god of balance, who shattered the cosmos to prevent other entities from invading uh, the main setting. Uh, you have. Um, Arden, which is another human settlement, which is the most powerful economic and um, uh, not most knowledgeable um, city and culture uh, in the setting. They actually control the shard mines, which uh, supply the currency for the rest of the, um, uh, the setting. And uh, lastly, humans, you have uh, Srill, which is kind of F, um, F fortress is the heart of human community in the setting and Arden is the mind. Uh, Srill is definitely the, uh, the, the lower, the rear end of the human, of human okay. society. It's, 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 uh, it's run by, uh, uh, syndicates, um, uh, and it is a place where uh, you can find anything for a price. You have black markets and a lot of unsavory things happening in Shrill. And then finally, uh, you have uh, trolls who are very um, standoffish and really don't want to be involved with uh, the, the other uh, races in the setting because of their, um, they, they are very much about family and protecting their home, their home uh, from any issues. But uh, trolls are um, master illusionists and, um, and shape changers. And they were very integral in uh, saving the elves when the, um, from that ancient evil that ultimately drove them from their homeland uh, because of their ability to work uh, behind enemy lines being illusionists and master shape changers. So you, you have those six races which really um, uh, drive uh, the setting and you have um, a lot of good a lot of good opportunities for players to play off of one another with the unique connection with the elves and the titans uh the standoffish trolls who work behind the scenes and people wonder you know are they really when when you can look like any any anyone when you can sound like anyone what what are the trolls real really up to it's 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 uh, fairly interesting it sounds very um it sounds like there could be a huge amount of interdynamics between characters just based on what species they're playing really that that alone could could be more than enough uh 
you know, seeds for for adventuring and, and, and bonding in there. That, that could be very, very interesting indeed. Um, now, I'm very curious about something, and it's that what what of you has been transferred into the game? Because I've, I've, I've watched a couple of your videos, and uh, you are one for having strong opinions on, on, <laughs> on things. And I, I liked your your video about the uh, if you dislike the the murder hobo, then you are the problem. <laughs> what what of you can we find in the game? Well, I think that. Um online i have a uh, a youtube channel called confessions of a frustrated game master and my uh, my nickname is robert the narrator it's not narrator it's it's a silly little nickname it's narrator so nair comes from narrator a storyteller a raider comes from the fact that i love uh, i love com combat i love uh, mechanics so the idea is that i love uh, characterization and backgrounds and role playing in equal parts to uh, challenges and conflicts and combat so i i think i i really uh, try to bring that into um into peace uh characters are very competent um Excuse me, I try to make the system a rules medium system because that also speaks to me. The days of uh, 12 D6 dice dice pools are, are you know, they, they were good times, but I'm, I'm too old for that We've now. We've moved on, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Peace is the type of game where um, if you want your character to feel like the hero of the story, if you want to be challenged uh, with exciting combats and conflicts where you can wade into uh, a number of en uh, enemies and have a great chance of surviving and look damn good while doing it, and if it matters who the person you're fi who's fighting next to you um, and you, you care about uh, the other hero in your group who is 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 fighting and possibly losing and sacrificing just like you are. That's what I try to bring to peace because as as, as the narrator, <laughs> it is important to me not only um, that you're swinging the sword, that you can uh, defeat multiple enemies and look like the hero, but it also matters that uh, you do it wisely um, and that you care about the world around you and you care about the other heroes next to you who are fighting and sweating and bleeding, uh, trying to fight evil. And I hope that that's what I brought uh, to the game, um, is, is that feeling of um, challenge and excitement matters but character and beliefs matter as well. I love that idea at all, very much indeed. Okay, um, what is the final book going to look like? What do you want to hold in your hands when everything is done and everything is for sale? Yes, uh, so the um, we're pretty much done um, editing of the book. I think we're going to do another uh, pass on the full version of uh, the game. So all told, um, the book is 480 pages. Um, now, yes, um, now I, I, I want to say to folks, um, a couple of the reasons for that page count is one, I mean, I, I, I think Paco, you're not a fan of this, but the book is a, um, is uh, a horizontal uh, format. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but yeah, you're gonna tell me. I know you're gonna tell me all of the things I'm doing wrong. Uh, the the book is a horizontal format. The cover 
it doesn't have an illustration on it. So I'm doing a lot of things wrong. But back to the page. Back to the page. I would, okay, okay. Let me stop you there. I don't think you're doing it wrong. You're doing things I don't particularly like, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. <laughs> this, this is just my take on things. And no, I, I don't. I don't think it's wrong. Well, except the horizontal bit, which is not going to fit in my shelf at any point. Which is like, I'm, why are you doing it horizontal? <laughs> It's trying trying to be different. Um, I'm one of I'm one of those guys who if uh, you know if everybody is playing this character class, <laughs> I have to play the other character class. I, I'm I'm just that guy, and um, I think um, you know maybe trying to draw eyeballs to to the game is like oh you don't see this quite often, so maybe it will draw more attention because you usually don't see uh, the horizontal format. But the reason for the page count is it is a horizontal format. If you've looked at the basic edition of the game. There is a lot of space around the edges, and I use um, the old man font. I use a uh, twelve-point uh, font. So, so okay. every so, <laughs> so there is. Um, uh, and unfortunately, um, also one of the things the bestiary, uh, and I hate this, but some of the characters had to be on a two-page spread because when you're horizontal and the information, so it's I. Truly, I'm saying this. If if my game, if I was a rules heavy guy, I would tell you that this system was rules heavy. I I firmly believe that the system is rules medium, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the only reason for the page count is because of the format, um, the horizontal format, uh, the font, and uh, and yeah, and the, okay. the uh, how liberal I am with open space. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, when when would you like the book to be out? So um, right now I'm in hopefully a six month process and, and being here with you, which I, I want to thank you very much for your kindness um, and your interest. I'm trying to build community um, before we try to uh, go to a um, uh, to crowdfunding. So hopefully um, that process will take six months. It may be a little bit longer because I'm finding that the struggle of getting uh, content uh, uh, vloggers um, or bloggers is really difficult. Uh, so it's, it, it can be it can be a challenge. That's why this is. I'm so grateful that you decided to talk to me um, because. Um, like a lot of industries, the role-playing game industry, uh, may you may have to be someone before before people will give you a chance. But uh, <laughs> so six months process to build a community, and then at that point, I want to try to kickstart the game to um, to fund uh, fully illustrating the game. So um, that's where I am right now, just in the process, and I, I'm limiting myself to six months to build community and then kickstart the game. Okay, well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing a lot of stuff in, in six months' time because evidently you have something in your hand that you're very, very passionate about, that you're thinking a lot about. And, and I reckon that there are some very intriguing things going on in, in that game that we're probably not going to fully grasp until we, we get our hands on it. So uh, I'm, I'm, you've piqued my curiosity, which is more than most games do nowadays. So that's fantastic. That, that's that's very very good. Okay, um, last three questions just to just to wind down and, and finish on a completely different note. Uh, that, that's got nothing to do with with gaming or anything. But last three questions. Um, question number one: um, What is the best advice that no one has ever given you? <laughs> <laughs> That is a fantastic question. The best advice that no one has ever given me. 
Um, wow. That is, wow. That is, that is a great question. I th okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'll say. Um, the best advice that no one uh, has ever given me is, um, I had to learn this on my own. Um, there, uh, no one, um, there is nothing in the world that 100% of people like. And I had to, I had to learn that through trial and error. Okay. Well, that's a good lesson to have really. Yeah. A very good lesson indeed. Okay. Um, question number two, um, what's the best mistake that you would like to make again? Oh man, that is, oh God, that is so good. And I'm going to try to answer these, Paco. You're not going to okay. stump me. Do I get a prize if I if I give a, a solid answer? <laughs> you get another interview as soon as the book is out so we can tell everybody about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> the best mistake I've made that I want to make again, mm -hmm. um, I just recently sunk a good deal of money into a mobile DJ career, uh, risking not not a not a great deal of money. I'm you know I don't I don't want to make anybody think that I'm saying I risk thousands and thousands, but a, a good deal of money attempting to um, as a hobby or as a um, something to keep me busy uh, a. Um, mobile DJ career. And of course, because of the state of the world that is completely destroyed now. And I want to make that mistake again. I want to risk a little bit um, to be happy and to do what I enjoy and to bring joy to other people. So I'm going to make that mistake again. Um, and it may fall through or it may not, but if it doesn't fall through, I'll be doing what I love and hopefully I'll be bringing joy to other people. You know, I cannot imagine, um, uh a better way than bringing joy to people through music. So if, if that is your thing, man, you so have every single one of all my good wishes because that, oh, thank you. that is absolutely wonderful. Music is one of my biggest loves and I have, as we say in Spain, I have two left ears. So I, I have absolutely <laughs> zero talent for music, but I could live without it. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, hope, I hope you make it. That'd be amazing. And I, and I hope to hear some of your music at some point Thank as you. well. That, that would be great. Okay. Um, last question. Uh, imagine that you have a time machine and you go back in time, as, as you do, because you know the future is uncertain and everything, uh, but the past is well known, and you meet your 10-year-old self, and you say to your 10-year-old self, do not do this. What, what is this? Uh, wow, that's that, that of the three, that is probably the, the, the easiest to answer. Don't, 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 don't do this, don't do this. Um, don't be uh, afraid don't don't be silent. Um, don't be afraid to speak your mind. Uh, be respectful of everyone you come across, but um, follow your intuition and and stop being afraid to speak your mind and 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 stand up for yourself. I've been that guy in the past. So yeah, follow your intuition. Don't be afraid to speak your heart. I wish more people did that, considering how harmful silence actually can be, not just to ourselves, but to people around us. So yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a great, great advice to give. Um, Robert, thank you thank so you. much for being with me today. Seriously, it's been, it's been fantastic. And I very, very much look forward to seeing peace fully realized and uh, have you back to talk about what the journey has been like. That, that would be amazing. 
Excellent. Thank, and thank you again. Thank you for allowing me to share my creation with all of the folks who love your content. I love your content. Thank and you. uh, you, you've uh, even before this point, you have been you have been guiding me uh, along the process of bringing this dream to life. And hopefully um, we're only six months away uh, from realize having fully realized. Um, but yeah, and I'm sure you're going to help with that process. You've, you've helped with that process. Anything I can do. Um, I'm here, so anything at all. So, Thank you. And that is it for now. I know this is going to sound very cliche, but I hope you'll give peace a chance. Sorry. I'm out now. I'll see you next time. Bye.